Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Yes, we're back again. And it's Friday again, which is the day that we record. So everybody's looking good, happy, ready for fall. So how you doing, Bill? Good. I'm uh, Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is Brendan J. O'Reilly. Hi, Brendan. Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. I'm Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us back again is Tom Gogola. And Tom is our reporter extraordinaire. How are you, Tom? I'm swell. Thank you. And we have a very special, very special guest today, um, and that's Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney. Mr. Tierney is here to talk about all things crime, I suppose, because you are on top of everything that's going on in Suffolk County on that score. So how are you? And thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you for that in- introduction. And thanks for inviting me. Great. So, Tom, I thought maybe since you had most recently covered a press conference or, or event that uh, Mr. Tierney spoke at in Hampton Bays, that maybe you want to kind of jump in here, because I know you had some thoughts on some of the topics that came up at that um, discussion in Hampton Bays. Sure. And also, um, and I also attended this uh, human trafficking conference last weekend, which uh, the district attorney was at also, which is a very sad and interesting uh, event to attend. Um, but going back to um, the event in Hampton Bays, one of the things that I didn't write about, um, there just wasn't space for it, but it was interesting that you talked about um, the the issues that your office has with prosecuting these cases involving uh, fentanyl and other drugs because of the way that these criminals will just basically change the compound just a little bit to kind of keep it outside of whatever the most current law is that is very has to be very specific, I think at the state level, but not at the federal level in order to prosecute on that. But just seems like another one of these complicating factors that, um, you know, is keeping these crooks, you know, I'm not going to say one step ahead of the law because they don't seem to be one step ahead of the law. But, you know, this is the, 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 the approach that they take when trying to sort of wiggle around these different uh issues with a drug that, as you noted, is extremely dangerous and deadly. So what can you say about that? Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about the laws in New York State, we talk, especially narcotic laws, they need to be amended, uh, reformed. When our nar- narcotic laws were, were formed, they were formed at a time when uh, it was a very uh, a kinder, uh, simpler time because our drugs were came out of the ground. So cocaine, heroin, marijuana, whatever drug you're talking about, uh, because it came out of the ground, it had the same chemical composition. So cocaine was the same in California as it was in on Long Island as it was in Columbia. Um, but now we have these lab uh, made drugs that are very powerful uh, and that they're um, changed in the labs. So um, you have uh, fentanyl, which is made in a lab, you have nitazine, which is made in a lab, xylazine, which is made in the lab. And And not only do you have those, uh, but you could, if you change a component, don't really change the deadliness of the drug. You just change the chemical composition. So if you have nitazine, you change nitazine to isonitazine, fentanyl to fluorofentanyl. And if you have a lab and you're a chemist, you could basically do this indefinitely. So uh, what happens is, uh, you know, when when we had fentanyl, you know, it took us, it took the, the, the law was a little bit behind the times and there was a time when fentanyl wasn't, wasn't, um, uh, illegal. Uh, then fentanyl became illegal. Then, you know, they changed the composition a little bit to floral fentanyl. Uh, and, um, that's now that, that, then that became, then that was legal for a while. And then that became illegal. Now we have nitazine. Nitazine is just an umbrella for a lot of different uh, different types of, of substances. It's an opioid. It's on average about 20 times more powerful than fentanyl, mm. isonitazine. Uh, and so out of all the nitazines, there are three analogs of nitazines, which are now elite, uh, finally illegal in New York state. 
but there are other analogs that which are or, are not illegal. Uh, xylazine, which is known as Trank, that's still not illegal. Uh, and then you could go to methamphetamine. There are all sorts of methamphetamine that aren't illegal in New York State. So um, right now, uh, if a person gets arrested for the possession of xylazine uh, in New York State, we can't prosecute them on the state level. So it's a, it's a, I think what is it amounts to an easy fix. Number one is our 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 to amend the statute. It has to be done through our our legislature. Our legislature is slow uh, and is not the most efficient body in the world. No offense, but that's the truth. Uh, in the in the federal system, where I was a federal prosecutor, those drug scheduling that gets done administratively with mm. drug experts. So the drug experts could sort of see what's happening and say, oh, my God, we have nidazine. That's good. But now we need isonidazine or, or some other analog of nidazine that we have to make illegal. So they, they, they're changing the law a lot more quicker. And the, and the law is more agile to sort of track what's going on in the street. The other thing that. Uh, so, so you would you would like to see the state be able to do that administratively rather than have to pass new laws yes, through experts rather than through the legislative process, which, you know, necessarily takes a lot more time. The uh, And you leave it to experts. Uh, you know, not all legislators are experts on nidazine and, and the analogs. The other thing is in the federal system, we have an analog set statute. So even if you have a clever chemist somewhere in Mexico who's creating these drugs that are causing a lot of uh, ill effects in our community and we, you know, uh, we get the drugs, we, we could, uh, as federal prosecutors, we could prosecute them under the analog statute, which is basically, it's a controlled uh, substance, a dangerous narcotic. It just doesn't fit the, the, the particular uh, chemical composition of the, the drugs that are illegal. So even if it doesn't fall within all of those those controlled substances, because it is a dangerous drug, you could still prosecute it under the analog statute. And I think that's what we need to do because the dangerous, the, you know, the, the the drugs that are that are driving the opioid overdose crisis are these synthetically made uh, uh, drugs. So we we need to be as sort of agile and adept as as the people who are uh, pumping this poison. Into our Have you talked to any state legislators about yes. that? Is that something you're pushing? Yes. We have, I have constant dialogue with our, our state legislators. I think I'm fortunate uh, having come to, to, you know, to come from Long Island, because I, I can say uh, that across the, you know, across the board, uh, I, I have productive uh, conversations with uh, our local, you know, new, uh, Long Island based legislators. So now, we, you know, we have to, having them, their assistance, which I think is bipartisan, we need to then bring it, bring it to the legislature and get something done. Well, I'm curious about all these people who are thinking they're clever selling, you know, that modified fentanyl that you were mentioning because they could get away with it until the legislature catches up with it. Um, but typically, if you execute a warrant and you find that they have a drug that is technically not illegal, are you finding other things that lead to an arrest? I would imagine that you're maybe you're finding firearms or th there is a way to get drug dealers off the street, even if they're dealing something that is technically not illegal. Oftentimes you can. Yeah. But the other interesting part about it is um, you have you have. Uh, Chemi chemistry and toxicology. So our our chemistry, which is determining what the substance is, the chemistry is is designed to only determine drugs that are illegal. So if a person has xylazine, has a substance that contains fentanyl and xylazine, uh, under New York State, the, the the chemists will do the the test, and it'll only test positive for nidazine not xylazine because xylazine is not illegal. So there's no really, for the from the, percent, the perspective of the chemist, there's no reason uh, to test it because it's not illegal. Uh, where you where you then find out that xylazine is there is if there's an overdose, because then you'll have, uh, you'll have the toxicology report in the, uh, in the, in the, in the, um, in the death report. 
and the coroner's report. And that will be more broader spectrum. And then if somebody dies, just say, oh, not only was there fentanyl, but there was xylazine as well. Mm. So uh, I, I think and I think the problem with that is I think it takes us longer to sort of figure out, you know, what what exactly is killing our our, our uh, citizens. So you, you have opioid, right? You have uh, nitazine, uh, fentanyl, which Narcan could, could counterman the effects of. Xylazine is not an opioid. So if people are taking uh, xylazine and nitazine and they get they get Narcan, uh, the Narcan could help them with the nitazine, but not the xylazine. So they'll die. And they don't even know what's in half of these drugs they're taking. They probably have no clue what the compound even is, right? I, I, yeah, and 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 you know the, the, these these drugs like uh, um, fentanyl is is a hundred times more 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 powerful than morphine. Nitazine is twenty times more powerful than fentanyl. Uh, these drugs are so powerful that what drug dealers and readily available because they don't come out of the ground; they're made in the lab. So what what drug dealers will do is they'll take a substance and they'll, they'll call, like say they take a, a, a kilo of cocaine. Uh, they'll they'll do what they call stepping on it. They'll step on it and they'll take that one kilo of cocaine, stretch it to six kilos. It'll be weak. So then they'll sprinkle in like fentanyl to make it powerful. Uh, but the problem with that is only two milligrams of, of fentanyl is enough to kill somebody. Two milligrams weighs essentially what a rice grain weighs. So if they're they're a little heavy in their 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 sprinkle, people end up dead. That's kind of what what happened in Greenport last yes. year, right? I mean, you had the cocaine dealers, but it, uh, they were yep. mixing the the cocaine and and it, and it got contaminated with the fentanyl. And 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 it's it's not even like you know, so it's not like the the drug dealers are doing this because it's just more lucrative, right? Uh, and and that that's a big problem. And and what we're seeing because these these drugs are coming from from out of the country into our communities, you know, our drug market is changing. Um, you know, we did a couple of months ago, we did what, what was traditionally like a heroin cocaine um, uh, sort of uh, investigation. And then at the end of it, when we, we did all the arrests and we seized all of the items of evidence, um, heroin and cocaine were, were, were down here and methamphetamine and fentanyl were all the way up here. So what you're seeing is uh, whether unwittingly or not, the, the, the consumers on, in Suffolk County are, are instead of getting heroin and, and and cocaine, which don't get me wrong, not you know not not, uh, not you know great. fossil things, yeah, not safe things, but compared to fentanyl and methamphetamine and xylazine and nitazine, way 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 safer than, than those substances. So that's the end. You know, last year in Suffolk County, we had 399 uh, op opioid overdoses specifically from just uh, uh, fentanyl. So oh. it's it's a huge problem. We had 30 homicides and 399 at, and counting, right? Um, overdose deaths in, from from fentanyl. So it's a, it's a huge problem. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. How, 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 how big a percentage-wise, the focus of what your office is doing, how much of that is, is narcotics as opposed to, to violent crimes or even white-collar crimes? It's, you know, it's it's hard that that's a hard question to answer. I, I would say our narcotics practice has really sort of evolved into let's get the the, the killer drugs off the street. That's right. basically, you know, what you know, and sometimes you get other. But, you know, we're looking to get the fentanyl, the nitazine, the xylazine, all of these really dangerous things off the street. Um, so all of our narcotics prosecution uh, resources are, are pretty much dedicated to that. 
uh, obviously we still have, you know, child abuse. We have white collar crime. Uh, we have, uh, you know, street level felonies. We have murder. All of those resources are the same. Um, but we're just, uh, you know, we're focusing on the, on the narcotics. So it's, it's hard because everything is harder, uh, in, with, with, uh, bail and discovery reform, um, you know, so we've we've really got to do a, a really good job of working hard, but working smarter. What what was your take on on the bail on the bail reforms? And and I know that we've um, we we early on editorialized in in favor of it as as a way to kind of even the playing field for um, you know for communities that 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 were hit hard by by perhaps you know some some unfair laws um, you know and, and and practices anyway. Um, but what was what was your take on all that? You were certainly around for that. Sure, I was actually when it was passed. I was I was uh, working in uh, um, in in Brooklyn as a prosecutor with the Brooklyn DA's office. Um, I think I think you know like I think you know if you look at the law as a, as a pendulum, you know I, I think and you need you need you always need uh, and any system needs needs uh, to be reformed. I think that uh, you know reforming the laws. Uh, uh, you know, wasn't a bad thing. Was 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 probably in order, but the problem is, I think they 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 swung it uh, too far in one direction. And, and the other thing that that I think they did was they removed the discretion from from the prosecutors, and that's why uh, you, you'll see, like you know, you'll see in the papers these absurd results where you have this really dangerous person gets out on bail because you know because there's always a scenario wherein. Um, you know, the, you'll have a, a really dangerous person, but they won't fit in within the, the existing rubric of the law. And then that person has to mandatorily get released. That's that's a bad result. And I think with a couple of common sense tweaks, I think we, we would be OK. And, and I think the biggest tweak would be, you know, the, as a prosecutor, what do I care about? Like, I, do I want people to show up to court? Absolutely. But what, what is even more paramount? Than that to me, that's dangerous. If I have somebody who I think, if that person gets out, there's a high likelihood that someone's going to get hurt. I'm going to, I want to do everything I can to, to hold that person in on bail. We can't argue dangerousness in New York State, and I think that if we're able to argue dangerousness, um, that's 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 great. You think that should be a judge's discretion, and that should be the judge's discretion. And you know, I mean, like, there's obviously some people haven't been convicted of a crime yet, and you may deem them as dangerous. But if they haven't been convicted of of a crime, is it fair to then hold them for a year and a half, two years in in jail? Well, I mean, I, I think that you know, there's other factors, right? There's the strength of the of the of the the people's case. There's dangerousness. There's all you know, the ties to the community. All these other things. So within all of that, you know, rubric. Um, you know, let us consider dangerousness. And I agree with you. If we have like a really weak case uh, and the judge is unimpressed with our case. And we say, this person's really dangerous. And the judge is like, yeah, but the case is weak. And so I'm going to, I'm going to utilize all those factors. And I, you know what, I'm still going to, you know, uh, either put this person in on, you know, set no bail or, or low bail. Look, that's, at least we got the chance to argue it. Right. right. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's fine. I just, it's, it, it, you know, dangerous, like if a person is dangerous, like it shouldn't be automatically he's held in on bail, but it shouldn't be, it doesn't matter. He automatically gets out no matter how dangerous he is. So, so I think both examples would, would be wrong. Again, it just, it comes back to maybe judicial, um, you know, discretion. Yeah. Leaving, leaving sort of uh, some of the decision-making in the hands of the experts in the court being the prosecution, the defense, and of course uh, the judges. I wanted to um, ask you something I've been thinking about. I don't know if you remember this from the Donald Rumsfeld days, but he used to talk about this notion of the unknown unknown, which is this idea that the scariest things out there are not the known unknowns, right? You might have a, you might have a sense that there's some problem out there. You know what it is and you can maybe tackle it. Um, but then there's this other sort of thing called the unknown unknown, where there's something out there that you don't even know what it is, but it's out there. And that's what Rumsfeld used to say, used to keep him up at night. What are the sorts of things on Long Island and if possible on the East End that you think of at night when you're like, as a district attorney, the, the, what is out there that you don't know that you're worried about? Well, I think I think in Rumsfeld, like, you know, he was dealing with like, 
you know, um, international policy and, sure. and so other countries. So I think it's hard, harder for him to, to know things. You know, I think we know things, you know, we know a lot of things uh, and all of these things are, you know, so all of the potential, uh, um, you know, dangers we know about. Um, and, 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 but we just, you know, we, we don't know if they're going to, you know, strike our community. And that's, that's what, you know, you know, these, these, these the opioid overdose keeps us up at night. Uh, gun violence keeps us up, up at night. Uh, human trafficking uh, keeps us up at night. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, all of these, you know, we see these, these mass events in, in other jurisdictions uh, where, where vulnerable populations, whether it be schools or houses of worship or, or pla places where people gather, uh, where they're being uh, targeted, you know, that, that uh, certainly keeps us up at night. So um, it's tough because, you know, you, 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 there are a lot of vulnerabilities in, in our society. And, and uh, the other thing that keeps us up at night is the carnage on our roads. Mm. Uh, you know the, the the amount of people who who are are being hurt and and, and maimed and and killed on our roads on a daily basis. So there's a lot of things uh, that keep us busy. There's a lot of places where our resources have to be uh, utilized, and it takes you know hard work. It takes vigilance, and I think it takes looking at it sort of in a in a kind of an intelligent way. Hi, I'm Joe Shaw, executive editor of the Express News Group. You might recognize my voice because, frankly, it's everywhere. On the radio, television, podcasts, and at live events that we regularly hold. I wouldn't blame you for being a little sick of hearing my voice, but there's a reason for all that. In addition to keeping you informed by publishing the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, and the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com, we have another goal. We believe local issues are so important that they deserve to be discussed and debated, and we want to lead those conversations in every place that we can. In fact, it's a key part of our mission. It makes this a better community. You can help us. For just $5 a month for both print and digital, you can stay informed as you join the discussion, and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting the press and the Express and 27 East and all that we do. Go to 27east.com backslash subscribe and talk to you again soon. You know, speaking of using your resources in a better way, do you find it to be a relief that marijuana is legalized in New York State? Does that take a burden off of your shoulders and lets you concentrate on things like fentanyl and trank? Um, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing about marijuana, I mean, the legalization of marijuana, I don't think I really have anything to do with. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying, and I think necessarily, um, you know, we're so focused on fentanyl. I don't, I don't know how much you know resources we would even have to, to prosecute marijuana cases. So uh, you know, that's a that's a point well taken with regard to your your, your uh, question. The thing that uh, um, scares me about marijuana is the way that not that they legalized it, but the manner in which they legalized it. So what they legalized it, uh, and and they said marijuana is legal. But there was they didn't set up places for for people in New York State to, to obtain marijuana legally. So for a year, a year, two years, people who wanted to obtain wanted to smoke marijuana in, in New York State, they still had to go someplace and get it. Where are they getting it? They're getting it on, on the street. Who are they getting it from? Drug dealers. Where are these drug dealers making their money? Selling fentanyl. So it's that, you know, the rollout. Uh, of the way, the manner in which they did it wasn't done in a coherent, thoughtful fashion. They were more concerned about those tax dollars than they were about public safety with regard to the rollout. That that bothered me. Number one and number two. The other thing that really bothers me is you know marijuana is not just like alcohol. Uh, marijuana is not this you know uh, this 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 consequenceless drug. And I really wish that they would do a better job of teaching our young people. Uh, the the dangers uh, of 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 you know persistent marijuana use, similar to the dangers of alcohol, like e everything else. I wish that 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 public service that that teaching they do a better job with that. And the other thing is, I wish that they would have really developed uh, a handheld device that you could mm. develop that you could use to determine marijuana, um, you know, uh, intoxication by marijuana on on the roadside, like you can for alcohol, because. 
our, is, it's difficult to prosecute, right? I mean, even if you're suspected that a driver is under the influence of cannabis, you have to be a specially trained officer to recognize some of those those effects. Yes, DRE, drug recognition expert. Yes, because with marijuana, the active ingredient is THC. So the presence of marijuana will remain in your system for a long time, but that doesn't mean you're high. Right. Uh, it's it's the level of, of THC. So if we could get a, a, a handheld device to determine the level of THC in a driver, just like you can for, for alcohol, uh, I think that would keep us more safe. And, and, you know, I know, I think we've all had this experience where you're driving on the, the expressway and you get this huge, you know, whiff of, of marijuana and you're like, oh, um, you know, again, just like alcohol, just like any, uh, you know, controlled substance, uh, there are consequences for its use. Uh, we try to we try to uh, do our part. We, we have a choices and consequences program uh, that we go to the schools with and we teach. We try to, you know, uh, educate our, our kids on driving while impaired. And the big thing is driving while distracted. Driving that that phone in your hand and, and a moment's you know the ramifications of a moment's inattention, uh, what what that could result in. So, are we any closer to getting a roadside test for marijuana? Is that actually being developed, the handheld device? Well, I think the science is there, uh, and I you know, but it's just now we you just sort of have to take that and then and then put it into a device. So, I wish again, if if we if we were going you know we were going to legalize marijuana, let's do it in a in a in a way that's, you know, first off, let's get the, the, the places to legally buy marijuana before you legalize it. That, that would be just common sense. And then in, in, in conjunction with that, let's, let's put, let's get money and let's develop this, this handheld device to, to assist public safety. So you're, it seems, it seems that you're, um, I don't want to say critical, but but thoughtful about some some events that have been going on in in Albany. I'm just wondering if uh, if your if your future ambitions would uh, would would take you to Albany in in any kind of way. Um, you know, I I'm acutely aware of of what I'm good at. You know, I've been a prosecutor for 30 years. I know this stuff uh, because I've done it for 30 years, and uh, you know, I'm I'm honored. Uh, and privileged to be the district attorney of Suffolk County, and that's that's what I'm that's what I want to do, uh, and because I think I'm good at it, and uh, I I don't contemplate anything beyond being DA. Can we talk a little bit? Of, uh, I remember at the um, the uh, the event in Hampton Base, you had mentioned that one of the issues that you really were really wanted to you know uh, improve upon or whatever word you would would use there is this whole. I think you said you your office had just begun to scratch the surface of the human trafficking. Um, crisis or whatever on Long Island. Um, so, could you explain kind of what you what you meant by that, and how uh, you know it was a really fascinating and, like I said, sad event that drew in all these different people from your office and elsewhere um, to talk about an issue that I think for a lot of people, and I heard this from a, a captain out here this week, like fentanyl. Like people don't even they can't even wrap their head around the idea that this is happening in their community. And meanwhile, I believe it was the woman who um, was from the jail talking about how this is in every town on Long Island. I mean, it's happening everywhere. So that that's kind of stunning to hear that. And um, it just, uh, you know, what was your takeaway from that that forum? And what, you know, what thoughts do you have about how to stem this that problem? Yeah, so it's not so much it's not so much the takeaway from the forum specifically, although the forum was great. It's just it's just my experience in law enforcement, uh, and the sad reality uh, being in law enforcement is the younger, the, the the we'll call them a girl because that's what they are. The younger the girl, uh, the more lucrative they are, um, and so you, you have that. That's you start from there, right? Uh, and and then you have. Um, you know, migrant, you know, the migrant situation uh, where there is a lot of young women who are coming across, uh, they're, they're either paying coyotes or they're coming across without a support system, without family members. They're young. Um, they may or may not be with family members. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of trafficking. There's a lot of trafficking going on. And uh, in, you know, in general, in the country, you know, and 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 we, you know, we, we would be naive to assume that it's not happening here in, in Long Island. Certainly, it is happening in Long Island, 
um, because we know it is, and it's happening in Suffolk County. So we have to set up the apparatus to, to sort of deal with it. And I think one thing that we have to do, we have to work with our federal partners, which, which we've been doing. We had the Sable Motor In case, which we assisted them in with. But uh, we also have to look at, you know, the, the tough thing about, you know, how do you stop a drug dealer? Okay, we think this person is selling cocaine. Okay, so let's get $50. We'll, we'll, we'll wire somebody up and they'll buy, they'll give the guy $50, he'll give him cocaine. We'll consummate that drug deal and then we'll arrest, we'll do that, you know, we'll do, we'll do a couple other things. We'll arrest them, we'll issue search warrants and that'll be that. You can't do that because, you know, you, you can't have a cop. Uh, you know, the, 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 the illegality is, is the, the, the sex act and you can't, you know, you can't have cops do that. Right. So it's always like sort of circumstantial and, and, and not perfect. So what you really have to do in these investigations is you have to start, you have to identify it, and then you have to move away from the human trafficking, the, the prostitution aspect, and you have to move, you have to go into the money laundering uh, uh -huh. and, and the secondary effects of it, because those are the, those, you don't have to, you can allow those things to be consummated and then you could prove those things. And then the, the, the specific unlawful activity of that money laundering of that uh, income tax evasion or what, whatever, or whatever banking fraud or wire fraud you're committing, the, the specific unlawful activity uh, stemmed from that is the prostitution or the human trafficking. So I think we have to build up but we have to make our cases bigger. And there's like, we have to look at human trafficking as in two, like sort of two ways. There's the, you know, like the nuisance where, you know, like these foot massage places uh, open up and, uh, you know, there's there's standing room only in small communities and the, and the communities it, it, that's a, and are, are complaining because there's all sorts of secondary legal conduct stemming from that activity. Uh, so that's a, that's a quality of life issue. But then the underlying human trafficking, you have to move past that and get to those secondary crimes to really affect the human human trafficking. So that's can, can we define human trafficking a little bit just just for for the for the listeners um, without without getting salacious? Sure. So we're talking about obviously you know the, the prostitution, but when, when we specifically talk about uh, uh, um, human trafficking, we're talking about typically younger. Um, um, prostitutes who are victims and they are, are, are being trafficked. They're being forced into this lifestyle uh, through uh, any, any, any number of ways. So can I ask you, does it tend to be like um, well-organized gangs? Are these like, you know, Russian gangs? Are they, um, you know, Spanish speaking gangs? I'm just wondering, you know, like who's sort of like, is it a big operation or do they tend to be more pockets of, um, of smaller criminality. Well, there's also there's all different types. So I'll give you I'll give you like the two most obvious uh, or most I guess prevalent or, or two very common uh, ways. So you you have a, a young a young girl in in Mexico, uh, and a coyote comes to them in Mexico and says, "Listen, if your family gives me fifteen thousand dollars, and she's in she's not in Mexico, she's in somewhere in Central America. If your family gives us fifteen thousand dollars, we could get you to the Northeast." And you could be a nanny for a very nice Northeast family. Uh, and, we'll, we'll, you know, you can stay here. Uh, you, eventually you'll get you'll get status and you could work. Um, and while you're there, you work for this nice family. You'll you'll you'll, uh, you'll um, watch these nice kids. Uh, and it sounds great. So the family takes every all of their assets, everything they have. They give the coyote fifteen thousand dollars and they go from one Central American country to the next Central American country. Well, guess what happens when they get to that next Central American country? They get kidnapped. And so uh, the, 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 the same coyote goes back to the family and says, bad news, you, you're, you know, you, you, the, the, you're, this girl, she got kidnapped. I know you care about them. We need $5,000 more. So they'll run that scam for a little bit and they'll and they'll drain all of them, every single cent from the family now. And then she, as she's continually getting supposedly kidnapped. Now she's about to go into the United States. They're completely drained of money. So now they come to the girl and they, she's kidnapped again. And they, they say to the girl, listen, we're going to be honest with you. There's no, there's no job as a nanny on the other side. Uh, you're kidnapped. You owe us another $15,000. If you don't give us that $15,000, we're going to go back to your village and we're going to kill your grandmother, mm. we're going to kill your grandfather, we're going to kill your mom, we're going to kill your brother, and we're going to kill your sister. So you got you have to do what we say. 
And of course, that is, you know, you have to prostitute yourself. So that's human trafficking. You know, and then and then, uh, you know, so that's a, that's like an international human trafficking. And then what we would see in, um, you know, we would see in, um, you know, like Brooklyn and the housing project. So, you know, a young girl, uh, she meets a, a, a somewhat older guy. She thinks she's in love. They engage in some sort of conduct. Um, that conduct is 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 videotaped or and, and then the, the guy comes to her and says, OK, well, now we want you to do this. And if you don't. We're going to disclose uh, all of the things that you've done previously to your grandma, to your, you know, to your soccer team, to whatever it is. Uh, and now all of a sudden, now this 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 young girl feels obligated because she's embarrassed. Uh, she, you know, she's scared. She's terrified. And and so there's all all ways in which uh, these experienced, uh, you know, gang members or, 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 or cartel members have to uh, traffic uh, young women. And, you know, the other thing that we have in our office, we have a, you know, we, which I think you saw, at, we, we talk about the signs a, a, and, and symptoms of, of human trafficking to identify it for, for, for other adults, but also to teach our young people, you know, this is how they try to, um, you know, ensnare you in, into this life of what is essentially slavery. The other thing that, and one of the things just to jump on that point that came out of that, that, that conference was I believe it was Detective Johnson spoke at length about this about how difficult it is sometimes for prosecutors to gain the trust of these victims because they have basically fallen into a kind of Stockholm syndrome where they're seeing these folks as their saviors, not as their you know trauma creator or however you want to describe it, and that you know that's a real problem when you have to try to then work with that victim to try to get them to um. You know, work with you guys to prosecute the the former uh, trafficker, and that's a huge problem. And that's that's why these cases are so difficult. And that's why any case, any human trafficking case that is based solely on the victims is pretty much destined, uh, you know, to, to to not be as successful as it could be. So that's why you have to segue over into those secondary crimes, like you know, what's money laundering. You don't need. You have bank records. You know, you have other. You know, uh, income tax evasion. Uh, all, you know, structuring all of these other, uh, all of these other uh, secondary crimes. That's in a perfect human trafficking. It starts out with the girls who are being victimized, but you want to take the pressure off those, 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 those trafficking victims, and then you move it over into the financial crimes. And so now the pressure isn't on uh, uh, the the young woman to have to come in and re-victimize themselves by testifying in court. Mm -hmm. So that's why. You know, when I spoke in the beginning about, you know, segueing from the from the, you know, the, the street crime to the financial crimes. That's why that's one of the reasons, probably the main reason why it's so critically important. And I'll ask you this, too. The uh, I was reading recently about a new um, drug treatment facility, I believe that's in Oakdale that you attended. You know, talk to us a little bit about the role. I mean, you are a prosecutor, but you're also aware of, you know, kind of social issues, poverty some of these drivers, people do things, stupid things sometimes, uh, you know, for reasons that, you know, are, you know, trying to just buy some diapers, whatever it is. Um, you know, you seem to have a, a real streak and a, of, of empathy around that, even if, as a prosecutor. So how do you balance, you know, your job as a prosecutor to, you know, put criminals away with these realities on the street? When people talk about this, you have to start to meet people where they are. Otherwise, you just have this, you know, this constant, you know, cycle of, you know, low level petty criminals who are addicted to drugs, doing stupid stuff, cycling through the, the system, becoming more talented at crime and all the rest of the stuff that comes along with, you know, a society that, you know, that that, that you're doing this, we're doing that, that will turn a, a blind eye to sort of the social conditions that give rise to some of the stupid behaviors that people engage in criminal behaviors. Well, you know, I, I think that, you know, you talk about the opioid overdose crisis. So what, what do I say? We need we need to be able to like hold people in on bail when they possess um, fentanyl. We need a death by dealer statute. We need to change the drug laws, as we said, because we want to prosecute those people who are um, pushing and peddling this poison in our streets and, and really causing the, the, the death and devastation. So when you talk about those individuals, what is the percentage of the population that 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 group is uh, comprised it's probably one percent one you know one one and a half percent you know so so okay so let's let's the, the people who are profiting from the misery and the death of others 
let's 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 make sure that that they they get uh, a, a substantial sentence of incarceration. What do you do about the other ninety nine percent? Right, uh, you got to help them. You know, you, you know, you can't incarcerate your way out of it. You can't blindly incarcerate yourself out of it. So if you're an addict and you're not you're not benefiting from from this, you're you're you're, you're a victim. You're a victim. Uh, we we need help. And and I think all too many times as a prosecutor, I have a zero sum game. Do I do I put this person in jail or do I not? So many instances, everyone can agree. The best place for this person would be mental health treatment, con controlled substance treatment, or a combination of the, of the two. But it's not it's not available to us. So we as as as, as prosecutors, we have an obligation to support you know these programs that are helping uh, our uh, you know ad addicted uh, communities who who are who are enslaved by their own addiction to these very extraordinarily powerful substances. I think that 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 uh, opening, you know, I talked about when I ran, it, one of the really nice things were, uh, you know, some people would, would come up to me and they would be brave enough to say, hey, I was a heroin addict for 20 years and I just, I, I got help or, or you know, I, I just decided enough was enough. And I went to a place, I, I was able to get help and now I'm no longer addicted and I have this really impactful and, and, and great life, which is always a great thing to say. But then I think 20 years from now, or is a fentanyl addict going to be able to say that? I don't think so because I don't think a fentanyl addict is going to last that long. You know, so we we you know we we you know so I, absolutely I talk about you know the people who are who are who are profiting from this. Yeah, let's treat them a certain way. But the people who are addicted by this stuff, we we have to uh, you know we have to help them. We have you know, and and if if you look at Long Island families, uh, you know, addiction, uh, mental health, or a combination thereof. What family hasn't, you know, had to address that th those problems, and what help has that family received? Most of the time, despite notwithstanding, you know, the the, the all of the, the the concern and uh, for the families, they just not they're not getting the help. There's not there none of these places. There's not enough of these places available. So we need to work on that as well. Can I ask um, is is there a similar program when you get victims of sex trafficking out from that situation? You know, what happens to the young girls? Who have been victimized, maybe you know, starting in another country. I just was curious what kind of resources there are for that for that aspect of it as well. Yeah, um, you know, we we you know when I was a federal prosecutor, I did a sex trafficking case, and the amount of resources that we had to devote to the victims was 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 really you know extraordinary. And yes, absolutely, you know, we we um, we have all these issues uh, of uh, in our society and all of these victims, and they need like. You can't, you know, whether you're, you know, you're, you're a habitual user of these powerful drugs or you're, you've been victimized by, by being trafficked, it's not something you just walk away from. You know, it's not like, oh, we, we, we caught the bad guy. God, good luck. God bless. You know, have a nice life. They need help. They need they need follow up services. We have we have victims advocates. We have a you know crime victims compensation board in, in New York State. But I think, you know, and I think if you look at, you know, the, the, the decarceration where where they took the money out of out of the um, the jails, um, you know where'd that money go? Uh, I mean, if you took all that money, like there's less people in jail, so that means that the jails are running at at you know at a, a lower budget. So that money that was left over was that money taken and 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 brought to mental health services or controlled substance uh, counseling. I can tell you, I haven't seen it. You mentioned that in the Hampton Base Forum, too, and you seem to be saying that Albany needs to be doing a better job, especially folks who consider themselves maybe on the more, quote unquote, progressive end of the decarceration, defund the police thing. You really have to put the money where you're, you're you have to put the money there. If you're going to empty the jails, you can't just put these people back on the street. Albany has to stop paying lip service to public safety and start doing something about public safety. We're on the like we're on the front lines of public safety. I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. But I see what's happening. I see what's happening to these families. I every time we have, you know, we do an overdose case, I meet with the with the parents. And I see I see the extraordinary measures that these parents, you know, undertook to try to keep their their kids alive. Uh, and, and, you know, despite those those extraordinary efforts, uh, they, they were unable to do that. So they need help. They, they need our help. So ultimately, your mission is to reduce crime. And if you can help people to 
to get clean and and to get off drugs, then you're reducing the drug crimes, but also the ancillary crimes that that come along with being a drug addict. Well, yes, and my my I see my duty as number one, reduce crime, but also um, you know ensure uh, or protect public safety and quality of life, and you know a public safety quality of life directly. Uh, you know, implicated by the opioid overdose crisis to a, you know, crisis level. Do you think that, and I know we're running long here, we really appreciate you taking the time here, but do you think that you're, um, you know, you're generally, Iran is not as a party guy, but you got a lot of support from Republicans. Do you think that, you know, you get more credibility coming at this um, crisis from a more quote unquote conservative, you know, law, you know, law and order uh, sort of modality than somebody who say, was like a liberal prosecutor who's basically would be basically making the same argument as you, um, but is, you know, has a different sort of ideological stripe when it comes to their role in, in so far as, you know, criminal justice reform and what it means. It's like one of those Nixon and China questions. Do you feel like you have an additional ability to make these arguments because you do have a reputation earned as a tough on crime prosecutor? Well, I think I think that, um, you know, I've been a prosecutor for 30 years. Uh, I never belonged to a political party, um, be, you know, because I, I consider myself a prosecutor. I still don't belong to a political party. Uh, I got the endorsement of the Republicans and the conservatives uh, that. Um, so I, I don't I don't think that I don't think that um, law uh, public safety should be a, a partisan issue. I don't think it is certainly isn't on Long Island. And I think. I'm able to say what I say because I have the support of, of, you know, the people of Suffolk County, the people of Suffolk County seem to agree with what I'm saying, you know, and, and, you know, it's just, it's sort of common sense. You know, you can't, you can't let everybody out. You can't incarcerate everybody, you know? So, and I think that the, the difference is like, if, if I'm here, you know, if I'm here, like if, if, if the, if the, uh, you know, the, the current state of the law is here, you know, we just have to bring it over a little bit, you know, and if, if my position is here and another DA, you know, it's not like we're, we're so, you know, I think sometimes the media says, oh, we're so, we're so far apart on everything. I don't think we're really all that far apart on things. I think that, you know, for the most part, you know, my colleagues, my other, my, my, my other prosecutors in, in New York state, we agree on way more than we disagree with, but there, there are certain things we disagree on, but you know, it, it's not as 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 stark as as I sometimes I think people like to make it out to be. And what I try to do is I try to just talk about the cases, talk, and I try not to to say this person is wrong or that. You know, it just just to make it about the work, but try to you know try to make it about public safety. That's that, that's all. And the things that I say, I think certain DAs probably don't feel um, as comfortable would would feel as comfortable about saying it because they don't have the same support from their constituency as I do. Bill wants to ask you about uh, Rex Herman now. Oh, yeah, sure. Let's let's talk about it real quick. I mean, you you but, it, but it's not a laughing matter. It's not. You, and and you came in and and you know and made a determination that you were going to try to solve um you know the the crime and you know and 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 kudos you and and your office um you know certainly took a a huge step in that direction no thank you i mean i think you know i as i said i was a prosecutor for 30 years i did colombian uh drug cases i did ms13 i did, I, I prosecuted about or was involved in the prosecution of over 60 um ms13 homicides on long island um i did political pro corruption cases I did white collar cases uh the, the ms13 cases uh, most, if not all of them, were cases that were originally not solved in the, in the state. Uh, and then we were able to develop, uh, you know, use certain techniques to, to develop them. So I felt that when I ran, I had a certain experience with dealing with, with large-scale cases mm -hmm. and dealing with, with um, cold cases, for lack of a better term. So I, I, I thought that if perhaps we use some of those same techniques we could potentially be uh, successful. You never know until you get there and you see the evidence. Uh, unfortunately, we, we were able to be successful working with, uh, you know, a whole group of, 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 of great agencies and talented people. Had, had he been a person of interest? I, I mean, I, obviously he was, um, there, there was some suspicion there, but um, 
how did how did how did we get from yeah we 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 like this guy to to actually um um getting an arrest so um we uh, i took office january 1st of of, of 2022 uh, along with the commissioner uh, rodney harrison we spoke about this task force model so we went about um uh, uh, you know, putting together the task force uh, because at the time the FBI wasn't working the case, the state police weren't working the case, the the, the Suffolk County sheriffs weren't working the case, and the PD and and the DA's office really weren't even working together. So we brought everybody, we brought we formed the task force, we brought everybody together, uh, uh, we took all of the, we took thirteen years worth of of investigation or twelve years worth of investigation at the time, and we digitalized it. Uh, and the good wow. thing about digitalizing it is you can search it. Um, and so we did that. Uh, we had our first task force meeting on February 1st of uh, 2022. On March 14th of 2022, Rex Yerman was identified as a suspect for the first time. Wow. There we go. Now you know, Bill. <laughs> Got it. So anything else that we want to bring up with Mr. Kearney before we let him get back to his busy day? I'm playing kickball later, so... Uh, no, I think a very busy day. I certainly want to thank you for taking all this time out with us, Ray. It was really great of you. No, know, listen, I, I I enjoy it. I you know I I, I understand that uh, you know I'm the district attorney in uh, Suffolk County. That includes the East End. So uh, while I you know I think community outreach is really really important. So I thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to reach some of our uh, East End uh, constituents and. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll be out there to, to talk to those folks as well. Sounds good. We look forward to it. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.